If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to be uh, walking through the rest of chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 40. And we're going to pick it up here in verse 26 when we get done. Uh, Philip is in Samaria. Revival is exploding through the region. Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer, if you will, has been defeated and has been devalued. And people are turning to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter and John come down. They lay their hands on these Samaritan believers. They receive the Holy Spirit, signifying there is no second-class citizen in the church of Jesus Christ, but we are all one in Him. And the church rejoices, and they see the church going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and it is exploding through all of the cultural and social economic boundaries. We're going to pick up here. What I want you to remember, though, is Philip is in the middle of revival. This is what every every person in ministry hopes to see sometime in their lifetime. Can I give you our key fob? It's going to drive me nuts. All right. I'm mildly OCD. Is it ADD? But what's OCD then? You're not perfect either. In fact, I know. I know. What's that? We love... (laughs) Yeah, I know a lot about you too, brother. No, I love you too. Let's focus on the Lord, shall we? Picking up in verse 26. Philip's in the middle of revival. He didn't have a key fob. And it picks up in verse 26. But an angel of the Lord appeared and spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And by the way, I want you to go the desert road. So he went up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all of her treasure. He is the chief financial officer. He is powerful, and he is rich. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship A thousand-mile journey, by the way, one way. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet from the scroll of Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join his chariot that is slowly rolling down the road. Verse 30, And Philip ran up and was, was walking next to him. And he could hear the Ethiopian reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And the, 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 the eunuch looked out and said, Well, how in the world could I unless someone tells me and guides me? And he invited Philip up into his chariot to sit with him. And the passage he had finally gotten to where he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah said this, He was led to a sheep to slaughter. A lamb before the shearer is silent. And he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away from him. Who will relate his generation? For his life was removed from the earth. And the eunuch looked at Philip and said, please tell me of whom does this prophet say this? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about the nation of Israel? Or is he talking about someone else? Those were the three primary ways Israel interpreted that passage. Verse, what was I on? 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. There's a lot of application there. And began... Beginning from the scriptures, he preached to him Jesus. 
church would do well to simply preach Jesus. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptistoed, immersed into that? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the chariot screeched to a halt. And they they both went down in and immersed themselves in that water because they went down into that water. And Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he immersed him, baptistoed him. And they came up out of that water. And the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch was, no longer saw him, but he went on rejoicing. And Philip found himself in a, a, a city I can't pronounce, Azatas, and he passed through and kept preaching the gospel to all of the cities until he came to Caesarea, because Philip's mission field wherever was wherever his feet were standing. Our mission field is wherever our feet are standing. Let's ask God's blessing. We'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I come to claim your promise that you promised your church. You gave your church one unmovable promise and we claim it today that you will bless your word. Bless your word. We hold out our hands and we ask for the blessing from your word. Fruit, changed lives, salvation. That we would be a bright light to our community. That we'd be a group of constantly repenting believers who are turning towards you always. Give us your spirit in a way that helps us see your word and with new eyes, with old, timeless truths. And I pray this, Lord, in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. Have you ever had things going well in your life? Most of us would say no. Where everything seems to be firing on all cylinders. And then God's plan just goes and ruins it all. And you say, Lord, why are you doing this? From all outward appearances, this is what is about to happen to Philip. Things are going well for Philip in Samaria. He is performing miraculous signs, so miraculous that he's he's put Simon away. The lame walk, he's healing them. Um... Those controlled by evil spirits are being freed. People are, are being baptistoed in, in, in water. And even Simon the magician has been discredited and defeated. The church is spreading into Samaria and Judea and from Jerusalem. After all, isn't that what Jesus said the church would do? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You shall be my witnesses, starting in the mother church of Jerusalem, and then spreading out to the region of Judea, around Jerusalem, all the way to that impossible region called Samaria, and as far as the remotest part of the earth. And here's what I want you to see and hear, and even more than see and hear, but accept. And I pray that for myself. Here it is. Jesus meant it. 
When Jesus speaks, he means it. Not a single idle word has ever fallen from our Savior's mouth that we are not to take heed to. I think a lot of times we come to church, we open our Bibles, and we see a neat character study or a a really neat history lesson that we can apply to our lives if we so see fit to do so. Jesus said, share the gospel. Jesus said, share the gospel. Share it to your neighbors in Jerusalem, your city in Judea, your state in Samaria, and wherever in the world that you may find yourself standing, share the message of Jesus. That is today's mission field for us, wherever we are standing. Now I want you to notice the words here, as far as the remotest part of the earth. God has a plan for his gospel. And it is not found in our comfort. It is not found, by the way, God has a plan for your life. And that very rarely is found in comfort as well. Very rarely is it found in comfort or ease. It is found in what brings Him glory. What purifies His body and His word and glory to Him. Stephen is in the midst of a glorious revival. He is rioting high. All cylinders are firing, and God's plan is perfect. And then it all goes to pot. Am I I allowed to say pot or marijuana? I'm not sure that's contextual correct, does it? But an angel of the Lord came to Philip in the middle of everything going well. Says, go into the desert. And he met the Ethiopian, invited him in, sit with him, and talk to him. Let's use our acceptable imaginations as we read this. Can you see Philip having his morning devotions and morning prayers in the, in the region of Samaria? And he's having his prayers, and he's talking to the Lord. People are getting saved. The church is growing. They're getting baptized. And all of a sudden, he looks up in the middle of this glorious moment, and an angel of the Lord is standing there and speaks to him. I want you to sit in this glorious moment for a minute. Imagine that were you. Suspend time for just a moment. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Can things be any better? I mean, man, ministry is going well, and your, your prayer life is going well, and you're seeing the evidence of the gospel and the power of God, and now an angel is standing in front of you. The spiritual highs just keep coming for Philip. All is going well. And now the angel of the Lord stands in front of him. I want you to grab this. What a mountaintop experience is this. And it is, it is unmatched until the angel opens his mouth. You ever get nervous when a messenger comes to you? Anyone at all? Anyone? Hey. I got to tell you something. You're like, no, I would rather not hear it. I'm good right where I'm at. He says, get up, go south to the road that descends to Jerusalem to Gaza. Folks, this is not like saying go south on 131 till you get to Caledonia. Go south on the road to Gaza is nothing less than crazy talk. That is crazy talk. What? Oh, yes. Are you laughing at the emoji? I found that. Took me forever. That's six hours of work right there. It's crazy talk. Had to take the rest of the week off, all right? 
This is what he's hearing. Leave fruitful ministry and go where no one is found. Go to nowhere land. You might say to the ends of the earth, to the remotest areas of the earth. You see the old city of Gaza. Here's some National Geographic history moments. So nerds, listen in. This is exciting. The old city of Gaza was destroyed by Alexander Janus in 98 B.C., about 130 years before all of this. It was destroyed, but a road still went through where you see this red star, and there's this tiny star, that's Jerusalem. That a road went through the, the old city of Gaza that was destroyed by Alexander in 98 B.C., and there were still ruins in that, that area. You could go through the destroyed city, and there was an old dirt, rusty road that went through it that very rarely was ever used. Then I found my place in my notes. Gaza was rebuilt by the Roman government in 56 BC. You see that written up there. So only this time they rebuilt the the city of Gaza near the coast. And that is where we have the present day Gaza Strip in Israel. So you have new Gaza by the coast, by the water, by green stuff, vegetation, resources. In fact, the new Gaza was the last watering hole before you got to Egypt. So this is a very, very important new city. All right, it is today's Gaza Strip. And a new road went through that fresh uh, city that was built by the Roman government. Now, why is this important? Because when you, you see the words, the road to Gaza, I want you to see that there are two roads that lead from Jerusalem all the way to Egypt. You have, you have the road that goes through, and we'll call that road number one, that goes through the new city that was rebuilt by the Romans by the coast there, the Mediterranean Sea. You have that road. And it is a newly, if I could put it into a picture, it's a newly paved road. It's a road that you would find in the state of Florida. How many ever notice Florida has amazing roads? Anyone else? You come to Michigan. Yeah, amen. It's like purgatory around here, all right? Fortunately, our politicians have promised to fix the roads. So far, I'm not sure any of our, let's move forward, all right? Let's preach Jesus. It's a well-paved, well-traveled, leads to resources. And by the way, Roman government stationed there. It's well-run, protected by law and order. Then you have road number two. This is a dirt road that led through the desert into the dusty ruins where almost no one, in fact, let's see here. Uh, uh, yeah, let's, let's click that. This road here would go to the old ruins of old Gaza from 98 BC, and, and it was very rarely ever used. We'll call that road number two, okay? Dusty roads with ruins, almost no one uses anymore. And the angel said to Philip during the height of revival, I want you to take the road that no one uses. I want you to take road number two. Now you may say, how in the world do we know that, that it's road number two that, that goes through the desert with a horse with no name? All, everyone over 40 got that. And they're searching it on Google right now. Do people still use Google? Okay. How do we know? One, lots of study. Number two, 
The author Luke tells us so. In fact, when he uses the words, this is the desert road, you can see he's telling the readers which of the two roads the angel told him to go to, the desert road. It's Luke's way way of telling the readers which road the angel told Philip, Philip to take. Now, to make things even more strange, I want you to see the words go south. All right? The words go south. Well, circle it. It'll automatically circle it. At least it should. There it is. All right. These words go south. Now, I want you to answer this with this question here. All right? When you hear the words go south, what comes to mind? Talk to me. Florida. Yes. Feel free to be really obvious. Things are declining. Don't go east. Don't go west. Don't go north. Warm. All right. Things have just gone south. All of these have nothing to do with where I want you to go. (laughs) This is a really interesting detail here. First of all, let me start out with saying we do not get to see, nor do we get to interpret the Word of God through our experiences. We do not get to interpret the word of God through our experiences in our culture first. This is the grave mistake of the American contemporary church today. We must interpret the Bible through the eyes of Philip during first century Israel before we can apply it accurately to our own wives. The word kata, and then the other Greek word that my lips won't be able to pronounce, has, now grab this, two simultaneous interpretations in the Koine Greek at the same time. One word two meanings. How many here would want to be in an argument with your spouse with a language where words can mean multiple different things with the same word? Now, two simultaneous interpretations in the Koine Greek. It means this, south and noon. South and noon. In fact, the only other time in the Word of God that this word is used is in Acts chapter 22, verse 6, where Paul is being given his testimony. He says, it was about noon, same word, it was about noon that a bright light flashed from heaven. It's a wonderful picture within the New Testament writings that noon represents a time of revelation. Philip is receiving revelation right now. He's going to be giving revelation at noon while heading south. Let's see here. I wonder if I messed something. Oh, in fact, let's have some fun. All right? Just for fun, look at how many here remember Strong's Concordance numbers? Anyone at all? That's, that's fun. All right? The Strong Concordance number here is number 3312. 33 number one, two, which incidentally is my lotto numbers, all right? That is what I always go because, never mind, I don't do that. I would never do that, maybe once or twice. Now, it is a feminine noun, a feminine noun that means noontime south. So here's the question. Here's the question. When is the worst time you could possibly head into the desert with a horse with no name? When is the worst time you could go into the desert? Talk to me. High noon, midday, midday, in the middle of revival, when things could not be going better. Philip, 
Leave this thriving ministry and head into the desert at midday where you will be shocked to find a single soul heading down road number two through the ruins of a city that has been abandoned. This is, and now you can fully appreciate the emoji up there, this is crazy talk. What would you say? What would you say if... You were told to head into the desert at noon, leaving a fruitful ministry where you're firing on all sailors. What would you say to the Lord? Why? That's a good answer. Let me pray about it. Are you sure? Lord, are you sure? Who, who has ever said that to the Lord? As though the Lord going, you know, it's, it's 70-30, all right? I remember one time, this is not in my notes, a prophet came to me at my first church, prophet, prophet came to me, uh, air quotes because I'm that cool, came to me and said, the Lord has told me that he's 90% sure you're going to die this year. And I thought, the Lord is 90% sure. (laughs) You'd be being stoned to death in the Old Testament right now. Those are fun memories. My life is crazy, by the way. Lord, let me pray about it. We all know what that means. What does that mean? Let me pray about it. I would like to say no at a less pressure-filled time. Let me, talk, let me pray about it. In fact, when someone says to me, <laughs> I'm taking too much time here. When someone says, let me pray about that, I am shocked when the answer is yes. Literally open like, what? Oh, your answer is yes? I thought I had already, yes, and I've been there as well. Look at what Philip does. Look what he does. He got up and went. No excuses. I'm heading into the desert at noon with a horse with no name. And on road number two through the desert and the ruins, leaving this fruitful ministry. Here's our first application. God sovereignly evangelizes the world through obedient Christians. God sovereignly at noon on a desert sends Philip to a divine appointment that is met through his obedience. We must be willing to serve anywhere, anytime, in any circumstances. Serving God where you are at, where I am at, is the first step to obedience. That's obedience. Where are you at? Do it there. Don't say, someday when I get older, when I get wiser when I get to the church when I have when 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 the church is as beautiful as I want it to be remember that membership class this morning then then I'm going to serve the Lord serve the Lord where you sit where you stand where you walk where you work and where you sleep amen are we doing that or are we praying about it now I kind of had a flashback when I was writing this this week. When I was called here to Trinity 16 years ago, I just want to say this. It was not a bastion of opportunity when I came. Are you understand what I'm saying? Now you may say, that sounds a little arrogant. Christy Summerfield's laughing because she knows it. And Rob lied to me to get me here. I just want you to say that. I want to protect his privacy, all right? It was not a bastion of opportunity. You would say, that seems arrogant. Hang on, I'll get to me, all right? You offered me, by the way, you offered me a salary that the church at the time didn't know if they would be able to afford to give it to me, and they never told me that. That was Rob's lie, all right? I'm joking. 
The memories of those early years, I remember we wanted to purchase two grills. I don't know if you've ever heard this. <laughs> nah, I'll save you on that. In fact, just to give you a hint, who here, by a raise of hand, nice and high, were, was here in November of 2006? Who was here? Look around, folks. We are old. We are the remnant, all right? Now, people would say to me, why are you going to Trinity, in which is, and I'll be honest to you, one of the hardest cities that I know of to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ because everyone is an expert. There's a seminary on every corner, and they see the church as a service provider. Why in the world are you going to Trinity now to be fair and balanced, Fox News, to be fair and balanced whether you know it or not? I was not your top candidate. In fact, your interim pastor at the time counseled your leadership not to call me as a pastor. A wise man indeed, amen? You say, oh, we were that close. He literally would talk to the the leadership at the time, which was the deacons at the time, because your church was unbiblical at the time. Sorry, all right? (laughs) Okay, if you have an email problem, it's... Pastor Dave at TBC.org, all right? He said, do not hire this man. He's not, he has no experience. Why in the world would you call a child to be your pastor? He needs a bunch of canned messages he can go to when things get busy. Now, here's my point. Everything about us, everything about us was not a wise move in man's eyes. We were a dusty road at noon. Were we not five people who were here? We must be willing to serve anywhere, anytime, under any circumstances. Here it is. Right now, God has you here. I don't know. You may hate it. You may not like it. You might think it's amazing. You might think it's eh. All right? I don't care. Whatever you're at up here, God has you here right now. How are you serving him? How are you investing in others around you, spreading the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth? How are you deepening your fellowship for spiritual protection, membership class, right right now? How are you serving? So Philip is walking down a dirty, dusty road in midday. His mouth is dry. The heat is quivering off on the horizon as he walks this road to nowhere. And he sees something. In fact, the text says, and there. Now, the King James Version, the NASB from 1977, and the ASV and other versions as well say the word, behold. Now, why in the world behold? Because Philip is absolutely shocked that not only is there someone on the road, but who that someone is. It's a surprise. Not only is there someone there, but it's important someone. An Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all of her money. He is a black man who is a high-ranking, powerful chief financial officer heading south through the desert from Jerusalem back below Egypt on the road to Gaza, road number two. In fact, 
the fact that he is a eunuch tells us a couple things. First, he is a castrated male. He is a castrated male. Because such men held high positions of honor and trust in oriental courts. How many here, men, I'll speak to you. How many here would decline that promotion? Anyone at all? Uh, I'll be poor, thank you. But because it is a highly treasured and trusted position in the oriental culture, they would castrate their leaders. How many just, let's move forward, all right? Secondly, this would make him a God-fearer, but not a full convert to Judaism. He could not be a full convert to Judaism. He can't be circumcised. He cannot fully convert. Though he traveled nearly a thousand miles from Ethiopia to the temple in Jerusalem, he wouldn't even be allowed in the temple. He wouldn't be allowed in the temple. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 23 verse 1 talks about that. He would only be allowed into the court of the Gentiles. That's like you traveling a thousand miles to come to Trinity. Not exactly one to one, but you understand what I'm saying. You travel a thousand miles by chariot and horse with an entourage, five months one way, and we allow you in the chapel. But you can't come in here. He is an unsaved seeker of Yahweh who is hungry to know the scriptures better, and he used his wealth to travel all the way to Jerusalem to get into the court of the Gentiles to purchase his very own copy of the book of Isaiah. In fact, we see that here. He is reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, here's a quick little fun fact here. All right, time is it? Oh, we're going to be fine. I'll slow down. Now, here's a fun little fact. He must have paid a great price for the scroll of Isaiah because owning a copy of the Scriptures was nearly unheard of on a private person. It was rare. It was very rare for a Gentile. You didn't hand these things out. If you were going to get one, you'd have to be a wealthy Hebrew Jew. If you're lucky, maybe a Hellenistic Jew could get one. But the Samaritans, they had to, they had to, they had to rely on the Septuagint. They couldn't even get a copy of the Hebrew Old Testament. A Gentile from outside of Israel? Uh-uh. That purchase isn't going to happen. Much less a eunuch. I want you to think of the covenant in Israel. A black eunuch from Egypt could not even go past the court of the Gentiles. But I want to get an amen because we all know what I'm about to say is universally true. Money is the universal bridge and language to all barriers. Amen? This guy's got money. Plus, he has an interest in the book of Isaiah. Now, why would he have an interest in the book of Isaiah? Here's a little interesting tidbit. In Isaiah 53, verses 56, 3 through 5, in the book of, of uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, eunuchs are promised to be restored in a renewed position in the kingdom of God. And isn't that what we are about to see here today? This book speaks well of eunuchs. He had an interest in this book. Speaks about eunuchs finding an honored place among the renewed people of God. And he was returning and sitting on his chariot. This would have been an impressive caravan over five months, made up of many, many servants and chariots. After all, it's a five-month journey one way. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Go up and join the chariot. And here's what I want you to grab. Here. Here is where 
what I want you to see here, okay? Philip is running next to a slow-moving chariot, plodding along at about a, a walking pace on a bumpy desert road. This type of chariot would have had room for three, the driver, the servant, the Ethiopian eunuch, and one for one more. So you got Philip running next to the, the chariot here, and he can hear them reading Philip ran up, and he, and he heard the reading of Isaiah, the prophet, and he said, Do you understand what you are reading? And this powerful man looks at Philip, walking and running next to his chariot, and he says to him, How could I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip into the vacant spot in his chariot to sit with him as they rode down the road. We know they're still traveling because they're going to be coming to some water. And Philip gets on the bumpy chariot in the desert with a horse with no name, and he begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, I'll grab this. Here's some application. Now Philip is fully aware of why. Why God had him leave a thriving ministry, firing on all cylinders, to travel into a desert road at high noon. The gospel is going to the ends of of the earth. In fact, this road leading south of Egypt was known culturally at this time as the edge of civilization. This is the edge of the world. If the world was flat, this is the drop-off. And Philip knows why. Hear this, regardless of what you're going through, God has a plan. His, his plan may be hard, but it is perfect in his reasoning and it is for his glory and it is for your growing and philip opens his mouth no more simple application could be found about the responsibility to share the gospel we must do what with our mouths talk to me church do what open them Open them. Lifestyle evangelism is a wonderful tool, but we must open our mouths to share the gospel. It is our mouths open. Here it is. Is our mouths open when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it says this, beginning from the scriptures. The word scriptures here is pointing to the book of Isaiah, but also all of the Old Testament because that's all that was available to Philip at this time. Here it is. Here's the application. Every believer should know the Scriptures well enough to meet people where they are at and show them Jesus Christ. We must know the Word. Last night I was with a couple who was talking about how their church is going a whole series from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, all right, about social issues and awareness of them. Listen, I'm not against that. But it should never supplant Jesus in the Word of God from the pulpit in the church. And all of God's people says, nothing should distract us. Because Scripture alone is the power of God. Scripture alone is the power of God. We will never convince a single soul to accept Jesus Christ apart from God in His Word. Charles Spurgeon said it cleverly when he said this, Oh, sirs, we might as well preach to stone walls as to preach to humanity. 
unless the Holy Spirit be with his word and give the power to convert the soul. You see, people can discern that there is a God through observing the world around them. Creation declares the glory of God. Creation declares the attributes of God. But only Scripture reveals who that God is and how to be redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ. Hence the old saying, how shall they know unless we open our mouths? Unless they hear. We must open our mouths. And he preached Jesus to him. Let me make this crystal clear. Jesus is the key to unlocking all of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament. And by the way, that comes from the mouth of Jesus right there in Luke. When you are reading the Old Testament and you see a narrative there, the number one question you ought to ask yourself is, what does this show me about Jesus Christ? What is this telling me about who Jesus Christ is? Now, let me be clear. There may be a lot of peripheral applications you can draw from passages in the Old Testament, from David and Noah and the ark and all of that. Some wonderful practical truths, and that does not invalidate them. That's good. That's great. Absorb them. But but with those peripheral applications, may we understand the ultimate goal is to tell us about Christ. And that's what Philip is doing here. That's what Philip is doing here. No one in all of human history apart from Jesus can, can all the words of the Old Testament truly be applied. Jesus is the message of the entire Word of God. Creation points to His existence and Scripture gives us His name. May heaven and earth proclaim that salvation is found only in Jesus' name. Now, we're almost done. They're riding along, are they not? And and the Ethiopian eunuch says, look, water. I'm sure he was thrilled to see water for many reasons. But there's water. What prevents me from being dunked in that? Baptized. Clearly, Philip had time to communicate the great commission of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. <laughs> We're certainly in all nations now, are we not? Make disciples of all nations doing what? Talk to me, church. Baptizing them. Dunking them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This God-fearing Gentile eunuch found Jesus and his first response was to be baptized. I want you to think on that. First thing he does is get baptized. Every time in the Word of God a person comes to faith in the New Testament, they were baptized into the church as an act of obedience to God. Baptism is a public confession of what has already happened by faith in your soul and heart. I personally like it when we get baptized in the river over there in Rockford. The tank is great. But the tank, I don't know. You may disagree with this, but it's so homogenous. Hey, this believer is getting baptized in front of a bunch of other believers who all agree with what he is doing. And that's a great thing. But don't we want to make a testimony publicly that we belong to Christ in front of those who don't? I belong to him. I'm renewed in Christ. That's why I love the river. This public confession commanded by Jesus to all believers after they place their faith in him. And by the way, this one will be public as well, even though it's on road number two. 
Because this high-ranking treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia with a scroll of his own, can you see it? He sets it down in his chariot. And, and with this, I want you to see this beautiful picture. Don't miss this. We're literally on the last page, so don't miss this, all right? See this picture here. This Hellenistic Dispora Jew, Philip, this Hellenistic despoiled Jew is walking into the water with a black Gentile eunuch who, who the, the spiritual and relational beauty of the gospel should overwhelm us as we see this picture. Jesus died for all. All. And together, this second-class Jewish citizen and this black Ethiopian eunuch walk into the water, and they came up out of the water because baptism is by immersion. And by the way, we're having a river baptism on August 7th of this year. So if you want to follow the Lord in a public confession of faith in front of the world, we invite you to join us at the time. Just let us know. But what a beautiful picture this is. And his entire entourage, who are not saved, watch their boss publicly identify with Jesus Christ because isn't that what baptism is? To publicly say, oh, grab this, here it is. To publicly say to those who don't, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I belong to Him. got to hear this. you got to hear this. Salvation starts privately. Salvation starts personally. But salvation is commanded to become public. There's no secret agents in the kingdom of God. I want to touch on something that I am asked a lot. Why, why do I have to be baptized to be a member of Trinity Baptist Church? Other churches don't require it. Why does Trinity require baptism by immersion? Well, one, because it is a command of Jesus. And it is the universal pattern of the New Testament. And I am going to say something bold. I know, cardinal sin from the pulpit. I'm going to say something bold. Some of you will not like it. Again, my email, Pastor Dave at Trinity.org. Let me know. Dave, are you in here, Dave? Okay. <laughs> He's downstairs serving with the children. I'm going to say something bold here. Public baptism, after personally placing your faith in Jesus Christ, indicates that we are responsive to a gospel. It indicates we are responsive to the gospel and desire to obey Jesus. Therefore, because this church believes in saved church membership, you cannot be a member of this church unless you personally know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and be able to effectively tell us how you found that and how that was given to you. We believe in saved church membership and we want to see responsiveness to the gospel in your life. So with all of this on our plates, we have come to the end. Why did we go through this dusty road at high noon passage? 
Well, let's add one more detail, which will be quick. We'll mix it together. We'll throw it in the microwave, and we will eat and go home. But we do have more tonight. We haven't even touched the surface of this thing. I invite you back tonight to dig deeper in the same passage here. And we have communion, which, by the way, we are commanded as believers to participate in. Now, with all of this, why do we go to this dusty road at high noon? Well, let's add one more detail and let it explode. Here we go. I need you to think like a Hebrew Jew. Everyone got that context? If you don't, sorry, you missed it. We've been going through it. Too sad, too bad, all right? I need you to think through the lens of a Hebrew Jew who has never left Israel. You're a first-class citizen, okay? And you thought seeing a Hellenistic Jew like Philip being saved was difficult. <laughs> Imagine how hard it would believe that Samaritans who were half Jewish were being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. It was so difficult to believe that that they had to send Peter and John to authenticate it from Jerusalem. These these, these half uh, uh, members of the Jewish race are getting saved. How can this be? So you go from a Hebrew Jew to a Hellenistic Jew to a Samaritan, and that's hard to believe. Imagine how, how difficult it would have been, all right, to, to uh, be, i got to find myself in my notes. Here it is. Have, re, prepare to have your Jewish, Hebrew, first century mind blown. All of that is nothing compared to what we see here right now. Remember, we must see this through the lens of a thousand years of Jewish perspective before we can fully appreciate and accurately see it in our lives today. Here it is. The gospel is bringing into the church, and I need you to grab this all, see this beautiful picture. The gospel is now bringing into the church, and I'm going to say this slowly, this sentence slowly, to allow everything we study just to begin to avalanche onto these words and marinate it. The gospel is bringing into the church a black, not a Jewish, a black, wealthy, castrated, cannot be part of the old covenant, castrated, can't go into the temple, Gentile from outside of the land, from the edge of the known world. This is the strongest representative of foreignness in every category possible from the Jewish perspective. So let us hear this last point, and then we will add it all together and get our modern application from this ancient perspective. Here it is. All the barriers are down. The gospel is available to all in Jesus Christ. So let's see it now. Philip was obedient anywhere at any time. God is completely and sovereignly in control of salvation. And all barriers of the gospel are down. Oh, church, may we hear this today. We must be faithful and obedient and ready to serve anytime, any place, to anyone, regardless of their race regardless of their status or their sex or their social economic status. My church family, here it is. Divine appointments await all of us if we are obedient to the leading of Jesus Christ. And the question is not who is standing in front of me. The question is, will I open my mouth? Because God sovereignly moves through his chosen instrument of obedient Christians. Are you a tool? Am I? 
our mouths open. One of the early church leaders wrote in 130 AD, it's a long time ago, that this Ethiopian became the first missionary to his country. Wow. On a dusty road, taken away from revival. But let me end with one more thing. Philip was ready to faithfully serve anytime, any place, across any cultural boundary, and he changed the world. So let us not forget where he began. Philip began as a quasi-deacon. In the early church, humbly serving food to Hellenistic widows. He served and submitted wherever he was. There was no low position for him. And he went from serving food to widows no one wanted to love to unimaginable heights in the kingdom of God. And it all started in a position that no one wanted. My friends, maybe, just maybe, we're not doing great things for God like we should because we're not willing to do the small things for Him right where we are standing. Let's get our hands dirty. Let's be obedient. And let's do the ministry that's right in front of us right now. That, my friends, my prayer is, was a well-balanced meal from the Word of God. Tonight, now that we've cleared the land, we'll drill the earth and we'll go deeper into this passage. Gracious Heavenly Father, your Word is so practical. May we be an active body of Christ using our gifts to edify this body and spread your word. Start with me. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. I love you guys. It's only 13 after. You're welcome. God bless.